the Gospel according to John, chapter 1. We're going to be picking up our text tonight, starting at verse 15. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. Now this is the testimony of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. Then they said to him, Who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now those who were sent were from the Pharisees. And they asked him, saying, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who, coming after me, is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. These things were done in Bethabara, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore, I came baptizing with water. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful that we have your word available to us, Lord, that we might learn from it and glean from it. And we pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, we hear from you this evening the truth of your word so that we can apply it in our own lives. Lord, bless us in this time of study, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Who are you? What are you doing? Who gave you the authority to do the things that you're doing? How do you, how would I, how would we answer these questions? And tonight we're going to look at these questions and how they relate to John the Baptist and his ministry and to us in our ministry, the ministries that God has called us to. Last week, we left off talking about grace and truth. Tonight, we're going to continue with that, at least initially, and then we're going to get into John the Baptist. 
So verse 15 says, John bore witness of him and cried out saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me is preferred before me for he was before me. So you remember last week in verse 7, we saw that John came for a witness to, to bear witness of the light, Jesus Christ. And here in verse 15, John continues with this witness saying, he who comes after me is preferred before me because he was before me. Well, we know from our previous studies that uh, in John 1, Jesus is the Alpha and Omega. Jesus is the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And we also that Jesus himself was the creator of all things because Jesus is God. Jesus has always been. John is just acknowledging that by saying, He was before me. And because He was before me, because He is God, He's preferred before me. We would all agree with that statement. We could say that about Jesus, about the Lord. He was before us. He was the creator of all things. And He's certainly preferred before us because He's God. John knows His place, His position, His calling. And John will bear witness of more things in a few more verses. But we see in verse 16, And of His fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. Grace. Grace and truth. Those are going to be repeating themes throughout the book of John. So we want to have a good handle on that. A good understanding of this grace and truth and what it's all about. Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, for in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In Him is the fullness of God. And those of us who know Him, we have received this fullness. We've received this grace and truth in our lives. Let's look at it closely. What is the fullness? It's grace and truth. Some of you may be familiar with what they call an acrostic. An acrostic is where they take a word... And then you make words out of the letters of that one word. So grace, if we take the word grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. It pretty much summarizes the whole gospel, doesn't it? Grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. Jesus is grace and truth. He imparts grace and truth to us. He died so that we might live. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, we know from the book of Romans. And the text says here, grace for grace, which literally means grace upon grace. Grace upon grace. That's continual grace, inexhaustible grace. His grace cannot be exhausted. It's inexhaustible. The grace that goes on and on and on, His grace towards us. Romans 5.20 says, Where sin abounded, grace abounded all the more. You might be familiar. A lot of you have said that you listen to Grace FM, the radio station. Pastor Ed Taylor down at Calvary Chapel in Aurora. The name of his program is Abounding Grace. It's a great name for a radio program because it really captures what Christ is all about in our lives. Abounding grace. Grace that knows no bounds. Grace that has no limitation. Grace that is never ending. Grace for grace or grace upon grace. He is grace. He imparts His grace to us. Grace is God's fullness on those 
who do not deserve it and cannot earn it. How many of us can relate to that statement? (laughs) We don't deserve it. We can't earn it. Grace is given to us. The fullness of God's love given to us through grace. Verse 17 in our text says, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Galatians 3 verse 24 says, Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. You see, the law is necessary to show the unbeliever their need for grace. The law is our tutor to teach us about the grace of God. We see all these laws and we know and we understand, man, we can't keep those laws. So the law was the tutor to lead us to Christ. And grace is given to show the believer and the unbeliever that we can't keep the law. Grace and truth. His law. We see we can't keep the law. So there's grace for us. And we recognize that. Now, John here isn't suggesting that there was no grace under the law of Moses. There was, because each sacrifice was an expression of God's grace, wasn't it? What were the sacrifices for? For the sins of the people. So the sacrifice in and of itself was an expression of God's grace. So then law represented God's truth. Grace was represented by the sacrifices. Under the law, these sacrifices were continual. They were ongoing. They were perpetual. For grace to be given and sins forgiven in the Old Testament, sacrifices were required again and again and again. Turn, if you will, hold your place in John, but turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, starting with verse 1. And we're going to learn a little bit more about God's law and how the law is not a requirement for us any longer. We're living under grace, not under the law. Hebrews chapter 10, starting with verse 1, says, For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered, For the worshipers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, this is Jesus, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me to do your will, O God. Previously saying, Sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings, and offerings for sin, you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, He takes away the first that he may establish the second. By that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, 
Jesus Christ, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God from that time on, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. So Christ did the work. Those priests were offering sacrifices continually in the Old Testament underneath the law. But he came with his one-time sacrifice, offered up himself for the sins of all, for all generations, past, present, and future. And then it says he sat down at the right hand of God. You remember in the tabernacle, we never see in the law that God laid down in the book of Exodus that the priest ever sat down. If you look at the furnishings in the tabernacle, there's no chair, is there? There is no place to sit down because they were serving continually before the Lord because the sacrifices had to keep on going. However, Jesus Christ came and He was that one final sacrifice. Our high priest met the righteous requirement of the law and because of that, then He was able to sit down at the right hand of God. The work was completed. The work was finished. Back to our text in the book of John, verse 18, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. Jesus said in John 10.30, I and the Father are one. And also in chapter 14, verse 7, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on you know Him and have seen Him. Jesus is saying, I and the Father are one. If you had known me, you had known my Father also. So Jesus came as the perfect image of God. He fulfilled the law and was grace and truth. He fulfilled the law. Matthew 5.17 says, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets, I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. And he fulfilled the law to perfection. And he was grace and truth. You remember last week in John chapter 1, verse 14, that very last little phrase at the end of that verse said, Jesus was full of grace and truth. Jesus came full of grace and truth, fulfilled the law to perfection because we couldn't do it, could we? And verse 6 if you look back at verse 6, it told us that there was a man sent from God whose name was John. So, now that we've caught up a little bit, let's take a look at this man, John the Baptist. Verse 19 says, This is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? It's a great question. If you don't know somebody... It's not unusual to ask, who are you? If they're doing something strange or weird, <laughs> who are you? You know, it's all based on the emphasis that we have when we ask the question, who are you? Who is he? Who is she? Turn, if you will, hold your place in John to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. And we're going to start with verse 5, Luke chapter 1, verse 5. Now initially I was going to just summarize these verses, paraphrase them if you will. But I decided we're going to read all of what God's Word says here about John the Baptist. 
And it's a lot of reading, but stay with me because I don't think there's any better explanation of who John the Baptist was and is than what we have in this text in Luke chapter 1, starting with verse 5. There was in the days of Herod, king of Judah, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. So it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. Happens every time somebody sees an angel, doesn't it? But the angel said to him, and the angels always say this, do not be afraid. Right. Yeah, I just saw an angel, and I'm not going to be afraid. Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zacharias said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. Politically correct statement there by Zacharias. I'm an old man, but my wife, well, she's just well advanced in years. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the, the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. But when he came out, he could not speak to them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned to them and remained speechless. So it was, as soon as the days of his service were completed, that he departed to his own house. Now after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and she hid herself five months, saying, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. Now we'll see about the birth of Jesus in verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. 
And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered her and said, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One is to be born and will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for who for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, that the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy." Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were were told her from the Lord. Now jump over to verse 56. Stay with me now. I know this is a lot of text to look at. Verse 56. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her house. Now Elizabeth's full time came for her to be delivered, and she brought forth a son, When her neighbors and relatives heard how the Lord had shown great mercy to her, they rejoiced with her. So it was on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him by the name of his father, Zacharias. But his mother answered and said, No, he shall be called John. But they said to her, There is no one among your relatives who is called by this name. So they made signs to his father what he would have him called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, saying, His name is John. So they all marveled. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, praising God. Then fear came on all who dwelt around them, and all these things were discussed throughout all the hill country of Judea. And all those who heard them kept them in their hearts, saying, What kind of child will this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. Jump over to verse 80. So the child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his manifestation to Israel. So, you wonder how John wound up being in the the desert? The voice of the one crying in the wilderness? It tells us in verse 80. 
Sometime between the time he was born, he had grown up, spent time with Zacharias and Elizabeth. He ended up going to the desert. We don't know when that was. We don't know all of what took place during that time. So flip over to Matthew chapter 3. We're going to read one more section of text here about John. And this will bring us to the point where we are in the book of John and what's being said here by John the Baptist. Matthew chapter 3, starting with verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. So John came baptizing with a, a message of repentance. And we get this insight into John here, some of his character most of us know about, dressed in camel hair, leather belt around his waist, eating uh, wild honey and locusts. I get that mixed up sometimes. I say honey and wild locusts, but I've never come across a tame locust, so that really doesn't make sense, right? So this brings us up to the time where we are in our text here in John chapter 1. These priests, these Levites who, who were Pharisees, we know from verse 24 in our text, this contingent of Jewish religious leaders, custodians and guardians of the faith. They were sent to determine who John was and what was he doing. Who are you? They're saying. And immediately John answered in verse 20. He confessed. He did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. Well, I am not the Christ. I am not the Messiah. If that's what you're wondering, I'm not the Christ. And this is a realization that we all need to come to as well. A healthy perspective on who we are and who Christ is. You might be sitting there thinking, oh, you know, come on, Pastor Jim. I don't, by any means, do I think that I'm the Christ. Well, let me ask you, do we sometimes go to our jobs thinking that we could pull it off in our own ability? Do we work on our marriage thinking we can make it because of our own insight? Do we raise our kids thinking that we can draw on our own life experiences to get by? No matter what our mouths say, our lives say sometimes that I'm Christ because we're trying to do it without Christ. We're trying to do it on our own. Without Him, we can do nothing. Christ says that in John 15, 5. Without me, you can do nothing. The only can-do that should be present in our lives is I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me in Philippians chapter 4. Who are you? Who am I? In verse 21, they ask him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, No. They say, Are you Elijah? Nope. Are you the prophet? Nope. Now why would they ask that? 
Why would they ask those two questions? Are you Elijah? Are you the prophet? Are you Elijah? Malachi chapter 4 verse 5 says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. So they would be looking forward to Elijah coming. Are you the prophet? Deuteronomy chapter 18 verse 15, we have Moses speaking here and he says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren. Him you shall hear. So they knew the law. They knew the scriptures. They knew the prophecies. They knew there was a promised Messiah coming. And they knew the scriptures regarding this Elijah and this prophet. But this guy, who's this guy? John the Baptist. He just didn't fit into the mold of what they perceived for any of the above, the Messiah, the prophet, Elijah. So they're saying, you're not the Christ, the Messiah, you're not Elijah, you're not the prophet, Moses. So in verse 22, they said to him, who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? They're like, come on, you got to give us something, give us something to go on. We have to give a report. We, we got nothing. So in verse 23, he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. We will never suffer from a case of mistaken identity about ourselves if we, like John, are a voice proclaiming Christ in whatever situation that we're in. Praying daily, Lord, use me to encourage someone to you, encourage someone in you, just being a voice for the Lord. Well, verse 24. Now those who were sent were from the Pharisees. We saw that before. This was this group that was sent from the Pharisees. And because they were, they should have known this prophecy. They, they just didn't understand it. They were the custodians and guardians of the faith. And they're sent out to determine who John was and what he was doing. So they ask him in verse 25, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? So now, not only who are you, but what are you doing? And by what authority are you doing it? Well, we know from the text that we read in Luke, John got his authority to baptize from none other than God, right? Not from men, so what's the controversy here? Why are they having a problem with this? Well, the Jewish religious leaders in that day, they did baptize Gentiles, uh, non-Jews. They would baptize those who wanted to adopt the Jewish faith. But now John, here's the situation, John wasn't baptizing just Gentiles. He was also baptizing Jews. And they're like, hey, what's going on? This would have to put Jews on the same level as Gentiles. Think about that for a second. Jews felt that they were a much higher class than Gentiles. But here now you have John the Baptist baptizing Gentiles and Jews alike. And they didn't like that. Verse 26, John answered them saying, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. By the way, that Christ, that Messiah that you're looking for, 
Um, he's here. He's right here with us. We know that John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. I don't want to get into a whole study of baptism tonight, but remember these rules. If Jesus taught it in the Gospels, if the early church practiced it in the book of Acts, and if Paul explained it in the epistles, in his letters, then we should be doing it today. Those four things, if Jesus taught it in the Gospels, if the early church practiced it in the book of Acts, if Paul explained it in his letters, and his epistles, then we should be doing it today. This is true of many things, not just baptism, but baptism is certainly one of those. Verse 27, John writes, It is he who coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. You see, in the Jewish culture, the lowest of the household servants would untie the sandals of their masters or of the wealthy. They came into the house, their feet were dirty. These lowest of servants in the household would untie their sandals and typically wash their feet as well. So John was basically saying that he wasn't even worthy to be Jesus' slave. But John was doing what? What was he doing here? He was still talking about Jesus. You know how it is. You talk about Jesus and Jesus shows up, doesn't he? For John, it was Jesus in physical form. Jesus showed up. And for us, it's Jesus in his spiritual presence through the power of the Holy Spirit. Hopefully all of us have experienced this before. The very presence of our Lord as the Holy Spirit shows up when we give our attention to him. To encourage us, to build us up, to help us bear witness of the Lord. Now, that doesn't happen with anybody else. If I talk about Peyton Manning, he doesn't show up. Even if I talk about Tim Tebow, he doesn't show up, does he? But if I talk about Jesus Christ as a believer, the Holy Spirit shows up. Jesus Christ shows up on my behalf to empower me to be a witness. So we talk about the Lord, we share about the Lord the Lord shows up. Verse 28, it says, these things were done in Bethabara beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. You know, first glance, you see a verse like that and you think, it just seems like that verse is just kind of stuck in there for who knows what reason. We know that it was baptizing. We know that it was at the Jordan River already from our text. But it says this, this was done in Bethabara. What's the significance of that? Well, the religious leaders of the day believed and practiced that the holy events, the holiest of events, certainly the events that were sanctioned by these religious leaders, would happen where? In Jerusalem, in the holy city, at the temple, where, of course, where they were, right? Certainly not in the rough, rocky desert terrain of Bethabara. It's just, it's just a tough hike to even get down there from Jerusalem. So I kind of think that maybe this is the way that it came down. The religious leaders are casting lots to see who's going to go down and check out this crazy guy down in Bethabara, this guy in camel hair digs, baptizing people, baptizing Jews. Well, verse 29, as we move on, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, 
Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We talked about this verse a couple weeks ago. John bearing witness, he points to the Lord, announcing the coming of the Lord. Behold, look upon him, see him, pointing to him. Here he is. This Messiah you've been looking for, here he is. John's bearing witness of the Lord, who Jesus is. He says, the Lamb of God, and why he's here, to take away the sin of the world. You know, growing up, Jewish people saw how many lambs were killed for sacrifices, uh, the coverings for their sins. Now here, Jesus is being called by John, the Lamb of God. And the only frame of reference that they would have for that would be the story of Abraham, right? Where he took Isaac up on Mount Moriah to sacrifice him. And now, in about three years from this time, the people would see the fulfillment of that event as Jesus would be offered as a sacrifice for sins on Mount Moriah as well to take away sins once and for all. So in this one verse, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, John communicates the whole of the gospel message. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Verse 30, This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. Here's the connection that we have with verse 15 and verse 27. We do that sometimes too in our own conversation, don't we? When we're referring to someone, trying to make someone familiar of who they are, well, you know uh, so-and-so he works at, uh, or you know uh, she does this or does that, anything to kind of tie it together for them so they can understand and know who's being talked about. John, he does this here three different times. After me comes a man who's preferred before me because he was before me. It's just something to better describe that person to make people more aware of, of who he is or she is. And then he says in verse 31, I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore I came baptizing with water. Now in the Old Testament, a priest was washed with water when he began his role as the priest. So think of it like this. John is standing in water, baptizing people. So like priests in the Old Testament, John himself was washed with water. And through his baptism, Jesus was washed with water as well. Not because he needed any cleansing from sin, but in order that he might identify with sinners. Verse 32, And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. John's looking back to the event that happened earlier. It's documented for us in Matthew chapter 3. Turn there. Hold your place in John. Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. It says that then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and are you coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. And when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. 
So we have this documented for us, the baptism of Jesus. So Jesus shows up here at the Jordan where John's baptizing to be baptized by John. John says what? I should be baptized before you because you, you were preferred before me. You're, you're God himself. John says, man, I should just be baptized by you. But Jesus says to him, permit it to be so. Why? He answers that. He said, because it's in order to fulfill all righteousness. To fulfill all righteousness. To fulfill all that was John's calling. To fulfill all that was Jesus' calling. For three reasons. There's three reasons this had to take place. Confirmation, identification, and declaration. Confirmation. Jesus was doing this to confirm John's ministry. Jesus was Messiah, and he confirms John as the forerunner, the guy that's going to make the path straight for him. Confirmation. Identification. To identify with us. He who knew no sin became sin on the cross and died for us. I heard some when I was growing up. Baptism. Hey, it was good enough for Jesus. It's good enough for me, right? Jesus, we identify with him through baptism. Jesus died on the cross and was buried and raised to life in, in three days. We know that, the resurrection. So we are resurrected into new life in Christ through baptism. We know baptism isn't a requirement for salvation. It's an act of obedience after we have come to the Lord. Confirmation to confirm John's ministry. Identification to identify with us. And declaration to declare the Father's calling. He was in complete submission to God's plan. Jesus came to die but would rise again. What did God say? This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Verse 33, I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Remember a couple weeks ago we talked about this verse and this scene regarding the Trinity. Who's there? Who's there in this scene? Jesus, who's being baptized, the Spirit, who's descending upon Jesus, and the Father speaking, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. The Father, the Spirit, the Son, the Trinity, the triunity, the Godhead. What makes God, God? All there. Verse 34 says, I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. John the Baptist is saying, here's what I've seen in my life. Here's what I have experienced in my life. This is John's personal testimony concerning his revelation of Christ. Certainly he's saying, I believe, but he's also saying, I have been telling others what I believe. So in closing, let's run a couple of these verses together again like we've done before. We're going to look at John chapter 1, verse 6, verse 7, verse 19, and verse 34, just kind of running them all together. Verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. Verse 7, this man came for a witness to bear witness. Verse 19, and this is the testimony of John. Verse 34, here's his testimony. I've seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Who are you? Well, hopefully you're a witness like John. What are you doing? Hopefully you're bearing witness like John. 
By what authority are you doing it? Am I doing it? We're called by God, just like John, to be a witness, to be a testimony to Jesus Christ.